guy. I needed to cheer this morning. You know, it made me feel better. I'm kidding. Jesus makes me feel better. Um, man, I tell you what, it, it has been uh, an amazing ride this fall with the with the life course. Um, how's everybody with the storm? Anybody, everybody good? Anybody have a tree like fall somewhere they did not want it to? Anybody? Look at that. See, this is why you come to church. Jesus protects you all. Um, but I, I love the life course because it, it's one of those things that people will ask. I mean, the life course is so amazing. You guys did an amazing job and will say nice things. And I'm like, we fed people good food and talked about Jesus. And, you know, the simplicity of it um, and how it, how, it, how it works. It's like there was no, there's no magic to it other than who Jesus is and what he what he does. And if you've heard any of the stories, we had, a, like Dan said, we had a, a night of testimonies uh, Sunday night at five o'clock. And it's just, I, I mean, we had to shut them down. Like there was more coming just one after the other after the other. We could have gone for a long time. And, and you know, we were surprised, but we shouldn't be uh, as, as the people of God, as people that know who, who Jesus is. And I love that our, our staff, our, our elders, our church leadership, our lead anchors here have been committed to a very simple vision, and to make everything that we do, whether it's what we sing, uh, what we say, how we approach the Word of God, we make everything about Jesus and about what He has done, what He has done for you and for me, and the implications of those things. And through that, by the power of God's Spirit, He changes people's lives. Uh, and that's what He did in the life course. And I love that we're in this series, the, the, the Anchor series. Now, a lot of people think because they, if you've been around for a little bit, you know, being an anchor is like our version of maybe church membership. You know, we don't have volunteers, we don't have anchors, or we don't have volunteers. Uh, we don't have members, but we have anchors. Um, and that this series is just a big marketing ploy to get you to join the church. <laughs> now, as a pastor, it is, um, just to be honest. Um, no, in my flesh, it's what I, you know, it's what I want to do is like just convince you that this is the best way forward is to be a part of the church in this way. And honestly, um, whether you're an anchor here, a member, um, or an anchoring another, another church, it is the way that um, we believe that you engage with church. We, we say this often that church isn't a place you attend. It's somewhere that you belong. It is family. And today we're going to go uh, through the, the, the number one value, which is Jesus is everything. It's at the top of our serving values. And when you look at our values, if you look on our website, you'll find our anchor values. These aren't like, they're not all inclusive to everything that you could possibly value in the church. Like, if you look in there, you could go, well, there's not discipleship in there. But our church is centered on making disciples because we have city groups and we just talked about it. Um, I mean, you could go talk about missions. Why isn't missions a value? These are serving values. We have an entire division of our church, ministry in our church called Groundswell Ministries. It's dedicated to missions locally and missions globally. Um, but these are the ones, the cultural values that bind us together as human beings within the church that are based on what we see in Scripture. And we're starting with Jesus is everything. And this series, again, in my flesh, I'd love to make it about, you know, get them to join the church. Um, but this really is bigger than that. It is about you and your relationship with Jesus and Jesus' plan A for leading other people into the unending ocean of grace that comes only through him. And you are plan A, the church. So as we start, I wanted to ask a, a big question because it relates to um, where we're headed in the Anchor series. But it's a big philosophical question. You'll probably laugh. Um, but like, think about what is the, the deepest longing or the, the, 
the biggest longing for the human heart. What is it that we want most out of life? What is it that we're looking for? What is in, you can drizzle it, I've done a little research, you can drizzle it down into a couple of different categories, but what is, the, what is the longing of the human heart? What are we, at the end of the day, what do we want most? What's deep, you know, not the surface things, but deep down, what do we want? And so because this isn't just a show, it's interactive, we're going to get interactive. <laughs> the nine had a little trouble with this. I said, all right, ask the person next to you what, the, what they think that is and have a little conversation. And they just stood there and looked at me like they were, they were like... What do we do with our hands? We don't know what to do. So this is the moment where you guys are going to talk for just a moment and share with one another. Somebody around you, just say, hey, this is what I think the deepest, like, this is what we want as human beings. Take a few minutes, all right? You're just as bad as the nine. What do we do? What do we do? (laughs) And don't say Jesus. Pretend you're in a bar. Don't pretend you're in church. All right, if somebody next to you said, you are the deepest longing of my heart, you're free to move immediately. We'll have our ushers help you get out of their way. Um, Man, it's awesome talking to somebody. Somebody, Coco said food. Um, I love it. Good call. There's a lot of people like, yes, I I should have said that. Um, Well, there's a couple of areas uh, that's a lot of people have done this with people, and there's been tons of surveys, and you all are just even wandering around. You've landed in a very similar spot. Um, but one of them is community, love, and belonging. Like, that's the, one of the biggest longings of the human heart. So if you got that, you got the right answer. Um, and there's, so when you think about that, and I'll tell you the other one in just a second. Community, love, and belonging, this idea that we need to be known. Like, known, like, you know, our place, not, we're not alone in this, in this universe that we've been placed in, that there's something in us. It's why rejection for many people is, our, is our, our greatest fear. And some of the most heroic things done in history have been done for community, love, and belonging, this connection that we have as humans and the one that we want to continue to have for the people that we love. I mean, you can go, you can, you can look at history. People have done incredible things, even for people in their community that they didn't know, life-saving heroic acts. Also, the dumbest things you've ever done in High school were done so that you would be loved and you could belong to a group, right? I mean, you've said things, you've gone places, you've eaten things, you've drank things that you should never drink just to belong, just to be a part of something. There is a, there's a broken side of who we are that also makes us want those things so desperately, believing that it will fulfill the deepest desires of our heart, that we, we dive in in the wrong direction for those things. And the other thing, there was probably people in here that aren't as lovey-dovey, um, and there's a little less of you that, that feel this way, but there's, there's another answer out there, and it's impact. Like, I want my life to matter. Like, that will satisfy the longing of my heart. Those two things working together are, 
are seated and rooted in who we are. And, and God placed those there. Philosophers, psychologists, you can read article after article, and I did read quite a few. Um, when you talk about, the, when you even use the terminology um, longing, it's something that, that is universal. Like it's, Solomon wasn't the first one to go, hey, I've chased after everything. I've chased after money. I've chased after building kingdoms for myself. I've chased after women. I've done it all. And at the end of the day, it was all meaningless. I know that there's something bigger. I know that eternity is set in the hearts of men and women. I know that there's something here in our soul, this, this existential crisis. And at the, at the center of that often is belonging, community, and love, impact, purpose. Does my life matter? You know, is there a, a cause that will, will fulfill me? You know, if there's a mountain, I want to climb it. If there's a kingdom, I want to build it. I want to be in that place. Now, one of the problems that we have in our society and where we are, although that's a human desire, that our interactions with other human beings are slowly, actually rapidly over the last 10 years, dropping off the scale. In fact, our ability to be social, like our social skills have gone downhill. They did a survey, one of the largest polling organizations did a survey between 25 and 40-year-olds 40 about social skills and social etnicity, like how good are you at being social. And this is one of the things that it said, or a few of the things that it said. 65% aren't confident in face-to-face -face situations. 68% avoid talking face-to-face -face when they can. So under 40, that 25 to 40. And part of this, they targeted that audience for why? Because that's, that's where the iPhone was invented, right there. That's the generation at the very you know, epicenter of that, that when smartphones were invented. So 68% avoid talking face-to-face. -face. So they text, they email, they might get on the phone and call, but they don't even want to do that. Talking, hello, hello. People are weird on the phone now. Have you noticed that? Like people like don't even like... You pick up the phone and people will pause and take time and act awkward, man. I don't know what's going on. 39% say that their lack of social skills causes problems in their friendships. This is one that's crazy, and, and nine really thought this was pretty profound. Of their scheduled events and committed social events, there's a 30% cancellation rate. That's crazy. Of the things you've committed to and said, I'll be there. There's a 30% cancellation rate. And they, they cite not wanting to be in uncomfortable situations and preferring not being in a social situation. 75% say technology has led to their decline in social skills. I mean, I don't think that's that surprising. But it is the uphill battle that we wage as people that want to be in community. And you might not say that, but you just said it to one another. That love, community, belonging is one of the deepest longings of the human heart. Yet we resist it. You know, I, I, uh, of some of the, I kind of drizzled down some of the things that I read about. And I kind of call it the, you know, the, the couch syndrome. You know, 20 years ago, there was, you know, you could have a conversation in, in psychology circles about what gets people off of the couch and into the gym. What gets people off of the couch and going to church or going surfing or doing that. And there's this kind of break point at which somebody says, all right, I'm going to the gym. And then when they get there, they realize and reinforce for the next time, it was a good thing. I enjoyed it. I'm so glad that I, I came. I'm so glad that I went. 
Like when I go surfing, I'm like, I'm always glad that I went. Got up early, went through all the stuff, and then and I went. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad I went and didn't just lay there, push the snooze button another time. You know that feeling? That, that is reducing all the time. The gravity to stay home and be by yourself has increased exponentially. You know, years ago, I remember even going to a Bible study with uh, Dan McFerrin, actually, uh, at, a, at the pastor's house of the church that we went to at the time, and I never wanted to go. I would always complain. I'd be, I worked late back then, and I'd be like 7.30, and I'd be like on my, leaving straight from work, driving there, wasn't close to my house, and I would call Beth and go, I don't want to go to this thing. Why am I going to this thing? And then I'd get there, and God would show up. We'd have a great time, and I would leave there going, man, I can't believe I, I thought about missing this. And we'd go through the same cycle each week. But where we are now in our culture is there's more that, that keeps us separate. There's more that keeps us. We don't hang out on the front porch. We hang out on the back patio with our pavers. We don't, we don't engage with the outside world as much. We've created worlds of comfort. And as generations and generations, the, the generations below us, I mean, these guys would, would say that to you, that there, it's easier to have social interaction via Snapchat, via, via a social app, than face-to-face. And that's absolutely true. It's easier to say horrible things to each other via text, right? I mean, it just is. But it's caused a huge problem in our society and the world that we live in. You know, when you think about impact, on the other side, the, uh, they, they've done tons of surveys about, about impact and what it's like to live a life of meaning and do things um, in, in your life with meaning. For those people that retire and, and after that, that's it. They just go collect shells or do something non, you know, like they don't have purpose in their life. Um, and it's just about the retirement. Those people die about 12 to 15 years sooner than the people that like go to another job. That's about my granddad used to say this, and he didn't know anything. Like, he just barely graduated from, from high school. Um, but he said, do not ever retire. And I said, why? He says, because all my friends that retired are dead. Um, and he's like, and I'm still working, and I'm living. Um, but there's something about that engagement in our, our human existence, that community, love, and belonging, and living lives that matter is at the heart of the way that God has made us. And my, my thing that I know is true is that Jesus is not worried about that. He's not worried about it because he's put us in place. He's surrounded us around himself via the vehicle of the church. And he's done it in a beautiful way. And I want to answer this question today as we wrap our hearts around this idea and this anchor value of Jesus is everything. Is How does Jesus satisfy those two longings? These two longings of the human heart to be in community, have love and belonging, and also live lives that matter. And the first one is very simple. It's, right, it's rooted right in uh, this idea of being an anchor. It's, it is Jesus is the anchor. Now, how, how, is that even, how does that even affect all of these other areas? How does that even, what does that mean? It's, it's kind of high level, Derek. Well, it goes to the heart of where we've even come up with this term anchor. We didn't come up with it. It's straight out of Scripture. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews. That's kind of our launching pad for today. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says, we have this hope. Speaking about the hope we have in Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. Now, 
often people, when they, when they quote this verse or I hear this verse in other circles other than Ocean City Church, that it's, it's usually just that part of it, that, that front part, that we have this hope, this, and it is amazing news, this anchor for the soul, firm and secure. But the author would think it would be tragic that you would miss the last part of it. And we often drift by it because it's kind of churchy and bible language that we're like, hey, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Um, and we wonder, okay, what's that all about? We have this hope, this anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. But, but who is the, the book of Hebrews written to? Hebrews! We don't know specifically what church or if it was to a particular church, but we, knew, we know based on the way that it was written and the way that it's titled is it's written to the Hebrews. And it's because all through it, the illustrations that are used to lead these people to Jesus, to remind them of who Jesus is and what he's done for them and the implications on how you live your life out of that as followers of Jesus is all rooted in Judaism. It's all rooted in examples from the Old Testament from the Torah, from the Pentateuch, all of those things are coming out of the book of Hebrews. And this is no exception. This idea that he says, we have this hope, this anchor for the soul. What is this hope that's firm and secure? Well, he says, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. For them, they would know that this is ridiculous talk. Because what the author's talking about is the temple system, which is the most exclusive system there is. Like when you think about country clubs and how, you know, what you have to do to be in a country club, what your resume's got to be, you know, who you have to know, Biffy and Bob, we know them, they got us in. The temple system was, was so exclusive just to be able to be in the outer courts. Most people in a city in and around the temple couldn't even get in the outer courts. And then there was the inner courts. And then there's the, you, you move through the wave after wave after wave of the temple system until you get behind the curtain. Until you get into the Holy of Holies, which one priest, one time a year, who had to go through all kinds of things to just to be able to go in and make the sacrifice for the people for that year. Just sprinkling blood on the mercy seat right there in the, in the Holy of Holies. So what the author of Hebrews is, is saying to you and to me and to, to the people, his audience... He's saying that the longing of your heart to be an insider, to belong, to be loved, to be accepted is miraculously found in Jesus. Look at this hope that you have. Jesus has done something to get you beyond the veil. You were an outsider. You, could know, you couldn't be approved. You couldn't be accepted. You couldn't be approved of. He's getting at the longings of the heart. Our need to feel accepted, our, our need to feel loved, our need to feel like we matter, our need to feel like we belong. He's saying now that that outsider feeling that you have has been satisfied in Jesus. The curtain was torn from top to bottom as he gave his life on Mount Calvary. He's made a way. You didn't have a way. A holy God, sinful people, you were separated in, in desperate need of love and belonging and acceptance. So what did we do? We looked towards each other. Love me! And, we, and we, we try to draw that out of other people. I need to be accepted. I need to be loved. So we do, we do whatever we have to do to be accepted, to be brought into community, to get beyond whatever borderline it is for them to be my friend, for them to allow me into their community. And this author is saying, it is finished. He's done it. He's ripped the veil. The Apostle Paul said it a different way. The Apostle Paul uses different language because he's talking to a different group. He's talking to a mix of Jews and Gentiles. 
He says the dividing wall of hostility has come down. There is peace between the Jew and the Gentile. There's peace, meaning the outsiders. You were once a foreigner. You were once a stranger. You weren't a citizen. Now you're a citizen. Not only that, you're a son. You're a daughter. You are seated at the right hand of the king. Everything has changed for you. The dividing wall of hostility has come down. And I want to read the, the anchor value here because it's, it's well, it is well written. And it takes into account what scripture says about Jesus and what he accomplished. It says, Jesus is everything. The love, forgiveness, approval, acceptance, and relentless pursuit of Jesus is everything that we need. Because he is everything, we come to him for life. And we are enabled to approach life differently and think of others before ourselves. You see how that works? Like now that you've now that you're an insider, you're no longer having to fight to be an insider. Now that you're approved of, you're no longer having to, to fight to be approved of. In other words, you, you can serve other people because you don't have to elicit something from them. And that's where, where it, what it continues to say. It says, living in this way helps us lead from a place of approval rather than for the approval of others. In other words, instead of looking and seeing, how in the world am I going to get myself into a place where I'm accepted by these people? Maybe I'll preach a good sermon. Maybe I'll do something, you know, I'll do something real cool. Maybe I'll get real good at surfing and then all the cool people that surf, they'll accept me and love me. No, I operate from a place of approval because the king of the universe, Jesus himself, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And I am loved by the father like he loves Jesus, sees me the same way, and I'm approved of. Instead of having to get approval from you lovely people, I get it from the king. You see, it works differently. Then I work and live life from approval, not for approval. And that's better for both of us, right? Because then I can serve you and love you and not do things to elicit something from you. I'm not taking from you. I can give to you because I've been given everything. It continues to say we can honor others freely because he's already honored us. People have trouble honoring people. Like because they're worried, am I going to get enough honor? You know, am I going to get enough credit? I did the stuff. Why am I honoring them? Why am I saying something nice to them? No, we can honor people. He's given us, um, we, he's already honored us. We, we can give him credit because we have all we need in him. We can serve in response rather than for recognition. And we can be generous because we have in him, what we have in him is better than our money. It's better than our time, our resources. We have received the most amazing gift of love, mercy, and grace at no cost to us. Having freely received, we freely give. I love it. Free gift. I mean, that is, that's crazy. We, we don't buy it. We don't earn it. We don't earn our way into community. We don't earn our way into being loved. We don't earn our way into approval. Jesus did it all. He finished it. When we sing Jesus paid it all, when we hear the words, it is finished in Scripture, it's finished. There's not, it, it, well, Jesus did it all, but now I got to work real hard to get in, to, to be in the in crowd or to be a part of the church, to be a part of the Jesus community. No, you were an outsider before, before, but because of what Jesus has done, by faith you've been saved. What? Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you, if there was some sort of thing that you had to do, some mountain you had to climb, some kingdom you had to build, something you had to do to be able to get in, what would we do? We'd brag about it. We'd look down on other people like, you didn't get quite here, did you? You know? 
Or I did a little bit more, but they kind of let him in, you know, because he was struggling to get up the thing, and we just kind of swept him in the door. He's here, but he's kind of on a lower level than everybody else. No, we are all, we, it's level playing field in front of the cross of Jesus Christ, because why? He did it all. We didn't do anything at no cost. I was thinking about, like, what kind of anything do we get allowed into? You know, family's one of those things, right? Like, I mean, for, for better or for worse, because not everybody's got, but like, the, like my kids, they're Harmons, and they have no choice. Um, they, they are in. They are in. That, that, that is part of, they belong. That's why we say, you don't, you don't attend church. You belong to a church because we're a family. It is like a family. You've been brought in. That's what Ephesians says. You've been brought into this thing. And, you know, when I think about, you know, my family, we have values in our, in our home and in our household as Harmons, for better or for worse. They, you know, my kids, they, they, they can't escape it. They inherited it, and they can't lose it either. That's what's beautiful about family is my kids can never, no matter what they do, accomplishment or disaster, they will always be Harmons. And that's the kingdom of God. That's, that's the way that we operate. I think of fans, like when you, when you think about, I'm a huge FSU fan. We took a hard loss, Wake Forest. Sam Hartman, local boy here played for Bartram. He was good, and he lit us up. Um, it's bad. But we let anybody be a fan, right? They can, like, if you, you want to be a Florida fan or a Florida State fan, you put on the gear. They're not upset about it. They're like, come on, fill the stadium with as many people as you can. Put the shirt on. I mean, you might be a little upset about the fat guy with the, short, the jorts on and, you know, he writes the whatever on his chest. You might want to kick him out. But everybody else, you want in there, right? Put on the gear. You can be a fan, you're in. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's in. The fans aren't working real hard. They're not out on the field, right? But that's where the illustration breaks down. That's where it kind of falls apart. And that leads me to my second point of what Jesus has accomplished and why Jesus is everything. Is Jesus is the anchor, but we are now anchors. Because we're so much more than just fans. We're, we're on the team. Like, I mean, the... the the, the players must think about us, you know, when they, all the fans that are excited and getting angry, yelling at the refs, mad at the kicker, you know, they're like, who are you again? You know, they actually play on the team. We're so much more when it comes to who Jesus is and what he's done for you and me, what he's done in this great exchange at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are not, we're not just fans. We are, we are on the team and we're, we're more than just like Rudy like, you know, and I, I say Rudy because Rudy, if, who's seen Rudy? So I don't I mean just, okay, everybody here has seen Rudy. Um, you get it. Like Rudy Rudiger, this guy, he wanted, it's a true story about when Notre Dame was at their heights in college football, he wanted to be on the team. And he was short. He, there was no way he could ever be somebody that played for Notre Dame. But he worked so hard on his grades, on his physical attributes. He played for a community college, barely scraped in and barely made it. In and ended up just miraculously. If you ever watch the movie, it's one of the coolest things. You'll, I cry every time. I don't know if it's the music or just dreams of being on a cool team, um, but it's amazing. And they're holding him up, Rudy. But he was not really. I mean, he was on the team, but they put him in in garbage time, and he made a tackle barely. And they're all like, Woo, Rudy!" But he was barely on the team. That is not the kingdom of God. You, you, not only are you on the team, you're not like third string, fifth string tight end that they just let on the team. You, the, the, when the exchange happened at the cross, what scripture leads us 
to is this idea that Jesus took on all of the, all the inadequacies, all the things that would make you not on the team. Everything, you just your lack of everything, all of your sin, all of your shame, all, all the things that would disqualify you, he takes all of that on himself. He was perfect, lived a perfect life, and he takes all of that to the cross, dies on the cross. And what happens? That's not the end of the story. He doesn't just absolve you of your sin and die on the cross. And then you what? You get his righteousness. It's called double, double imputation. So you're not just pushing it this way. We also got it. It's going this way. You're getting, you're getting your debt relieved, all the bad stuff, and then you're getting imputed. All of it's coming in you, all of what his, his righteousness, his perfection. So you're not just on the team. You're, you're the quarterback with Jesus side by side, seated right, right next to him on the throne, getting ready to take the snap. It's you and Jesus. This is the implications of the cross and the gospel that we forget. Not only is he the anchor for us, but all of a sudden we become anchors because of what he's done. It says in Ephesians 5.1, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You are image bearers. You are inheritors. You can't get rid of it. Jesus is on you as a, as a follower of Jesus. And says he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Meaning because of what God's done with you, it doesn't end there. Not only does he engraft you into a wonderful, beautiful community in which you're accepted, in which you're loved, in which you belong. But he also gives you not just a purpose for 10 years, for 20 years, but a purpose that reverberates into eternity. No better purpose on earth to invite somebody into what you've been invited into. It's an incredible, incredible gift that we get to. And it's, what, it's, it's the centerpiece of our mission statement here at Ocean City Church. Like, what are we doing here? Well, we are here to invite anyone and everyone to experience the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus. The unending ocean of grace that we're experiencing, that we've experienced. So I've got this gift, and now guess what I get to, get to be? The ambassador. I get to be an anchor. I get to secure somebody else's experience of Jesus. So as they come through these doors, instead of going, i got to surf today. <laughs> no, you get to... Somebody's coming in here to meet Jesus. I know none of you do that. Y'all are the best creator. You really are. Amazing, amazing church. But I'm just saying our attitude, it's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. For years, I, I, when I, I, I've told this story before. I had an amazing experience with, um, at a passion conference, at a singer-songwriter's thing with like 200 people. It was incredible. From that day forward, from 2003 to 2004 to current, I have been taking people every year. Students, I, starting back in 2015, I started taking to Passion Camp. Before that, it was college students from 2006 or 2007 up to current, to Passion Conferences. Why? Because my life changed in this environment. I'm, I, 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 my, I, I went from thinking Jesus was just a little part of life and, and religion and something good to have in your life to my whole life changing. And so I, was, I would take anybody. I'm like, just come. I don't know how to do all this. Just come with me to the thing. <laughs> Invite you to the unending ocean of grace that I experienced. I did it year after year, and it's the most life-giving thing to look down the aisle, to experience it all over again, the Spirit of God through teaching, through the Holy Spirit, through worship, and look down the aisles at students and friends and people that I brought experiencing Jesus and watching their lives change. Why? Because that's how God's wired us for purpose, 
for community, for love, belonging, and to carry this thing. Not because we have to, not because it's the church thing to do, but because it's the most exciting thing you will ever experience. That's what people thought about the life course. The people that led and served on the life course, after they heard testimonies, they're like, okay, this is the, there's nothing on earth that touches this. To watch and see the tears, see the joy, and know God ex- there is no way that God doesn't exist, that Jesus isn't real after hearing that story. That's the type of faith-building thing that's happened as a result of Jesus coming in and saying, you know what, I am the anchor, and guess what? You're going to become anchors. You're all going to be woven together into this beautiful tapestry called the church. And that leads me to my third point. Not only is he the anchor, not only do we now get the imprint, we don't do it on our own. What? We are anchors together. Nobody says it better than the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and I, you got when you see it consequently in Scripture, you got to remember that something pretty profound happened right before this as he was reading uh, or as he was writing. He's, and he, he puts the gospel on display. This is the beginning of Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. All that's here. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You had no shot with God. There was no way that you could, you could save yourself. And then it says, but then God, in his mercy, sent Jesus for you and for me. So you grab that gospel message and then he says, on top of that, he says, consequently, what's happened? What did that do for you? You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. So you're not just an outsider that's now an insider. You're an insider with who? With God's people and you're members of what? His household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with who? Jesus Christ, who is everything as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. So in Jesus, we're all woven together brick by brick, this building, this household of God joined together, and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You see, Paul wisely centers everything on Jesus because Jesus is the cornerstone. But he's making the point that all of a sudden you are now being brought into what? This household. I love the household language here because it's, it gives us that context of it's so much more than just going to an event or attending something that you watch. You know, you get a latte, you might bring your Bible, take some notes and then leave. But the ultimate idea and the ultimate idea in the church is that we would bind together a bunch of broken people saved by Jesus and that God would miraculously use broken people. Feeble and fallen clay, cracked pots, all the religious language you want to use. And he takes us, and we get to be a part of seeing people's lives changed together as a household. And I love that language, too, because it, it gives you the picture of a house is different than something that you would attend. It's somewhere you belong. It gives you that sense of family. And houses aren't always easy, and families are not always easy, right? There's work to be done. Every day is not all just like, man, it's going to be rainbows and lollipops once you join the church. Everything's going to be good, right? That's no way. I mean, ask my kids. Being a part of the Harmon household is not always easy. First of all, there's other people in the house, right? There's other people in there that you don't always like all the time, right? And then there's storms that come by and dump pecans all over your yard. And dad goes to work and says, hey, y'all need to clean up the pecans. It's not always easy, right? And pecans, you ever try to like rake pecans? You can't. 
like especially the big ones in my yard. And my boys have told me, you can't rake them, Dad. They, they individually had to just pick them up. Ding! And there was about nine million in the yard when I left. And I was smiling when I went to work. <laughs> you know? See, households are not always easy. Feeble and fallen leaders in the household. Um, but you, it's, it's, it's good language for us. It's good language for us. But this change that happens inside the heart of human beings, it's interesting. You know, the, one of the guys that got the, God just wrecked his world in the best way on the life course. And Jesus just changed his life, just came in. And he, he was talking about, you know, why, do, why do we do, like, why, is, why are people nice? Why do they care about? I feel like people care about me. They, they care about my story. They care about who I am. And I, somebody else even said, you know, I told my friends I was going on this weekend away. And they're like, they're, her, she said, my, my parents said, oh, they're going to ask for money. You know, as soon as you get on the weekend and you can't go anywhere, that's when they ask for the money. They were surprised that they were asking for money. You know, we, we, we're, not, we're not, and it's not because we're awesome people. We're not. I'm, we're sinners, man. We're broken. It's the, it's the righteousness of Christ. It's the goodness of God that we've experienced. It's His grace that's come down. It's changed us. It makes me actually give a rip about somebody I don't know. And I do, and I don't know where it comes from, but I, all I know is it comes from the Spirit of God because I'm not a good person and I'm selfish most, most days. But some miraculously, when we come together as anchors, as people that, that make up the church, the unstoppable force, the plan A for the mission of the church, God does something in and through us that changes everything. Now, the scary thing is sometimes when we, when we have these conversations, even when we've done this series in the past on anchors is, people get really jazzed up about church community and they get really jazzed up about value and purpose. And the problem with that, and one of the reasons that the top value is Jesus is everything, is we, we didn't want it to be church is everything or community is everything or purpose is everything. It is Jesus is everything. You know why? Because Jesus won't let you down ever. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will satisfy your soul. Guess what, the, guess what won't? Church won't. I'm just telling you. The church will fail you at times. The, you know why? Same reason a household's hard. There's people in it. There's people in it. There's moments where we're, our brokenness reigns. There's moments when, when the, the, and, and if people, if you come into a church community thinking the church will save you, it's like putting all your hope in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like, he's my everything. I just love him. He's going to make all my dreams come true. And he won't. Right? He won't. And neither will the church. The church will let you down at times. It is beautiful. It is the bride. And Jesus loves the bride. But it's broken. Don't put your hope in community, love, and belonging. We want to lead you to what? To Jesus. This is all about him and who he is. You know, the messy part about all this is, is it's an ongoing struggle inside the church. It's ongoing with your pastor. Like I, I've realized for me in life, especially when it comes to value and impact, like when I, when I went through my undiagnosed neurological disorder and I'm still going through it now, the, the thing that brings the most fear and, and I've had to do a lot of work to figure out why, especially initially 15 years ago when this started happening to me, why I got so scared and why I was so anxious and why I got so depressed, why I just went into a bucket of darkness for so long 
and had so much fear. And it was, I was worried, and it took me a while to figure this out or at least say it out loud or admit it. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to do things in life that made me feel like I mattered. What was gonna happen to my job? How was I gonna play music? You know, my, my, my left hand, I couldn't even, you know, for a long time, couldn't even make a fist. What, what am I gonna do without that? It's something that makes me feel worth something. How am I gonna take care of my family? How am I gonna take care of my kids? It's, it's where all my value comes from. It's where all my worthiness comes from. That is the lie of the enemy. If you put your hope in yourself and your value in the things that you do, or you put it in community or anything else, it will come crumbling. That castle is built, it's a house of cards. It is built on sand and it will come down. It came down for me because I was terrified to lose it. And the worst thing was not losing it, it was actually the terror that it caused. And that's the enemy. So today, as we talk about Jesus is everything, this is so much more than you signing up to be an anchor. I do want you to sign up to be an anchor. Somewhere, do it. if you're not doing it here, do it somewhere. Don't just attend, we wanna belong. So if it's another church that fits better, then do it there. I'll encourage you. I will fill the pews at another, we don't have pews, but you know, I'm old. Somewhere else. But this is about Jesus, that he's everything, that he is what we're after. He is the one that willingly gave his life away, that we might be insiders together.